Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. As the COVID epidemic hit the United States, New Jersey was an early hotspot. With medical offices closing down, people encouraged to stay at home, and extreme pressure on the health system focused on treating the emerging disease, the state of New Jersey adopted emergency rules to permit providers from out of state to care for people in New Jersey. This had many implications. What happens when you suspend interstate barriers to medical practice is the topic of today's episode of A Health Podacy. I'm here with Anne Nguyen, Assistant Research Professor and Implementation Scientist at Rutgers University's Center for State Health Policy. Dr. Nguyen and co-authors published a paper in the August 2022 issue of Health Affairs, exploring the results of a survey administered to practitioners who received licenses through New Jersey's COVID-19 Temporary Emergency Reciprocity Licensure Program. They found that these practitioners met two very important needs, urgent hospital-based care to treat the overwhelming number of COVID cases, and primarily telehealth-based care by out-of-state providers to meet a broad range of healthcare needs. We'll explore these findings in more detail in today's episode. Dr. Nguyen, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ellen. This is my absolute pleasure to be here with you today. Um, Before I start and start answering the questions you have for me, I do want to first acknowledge the team that made this study possible. I want to recognize my co-authors at the Rutgers Center for State Health Policy, our partners at the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs, uh, without whom this would not be possible at all, and our funders from, or our funder from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And that said, everything that I say today is my view and opinion, not necessarily reflective of the views of the state of New Jersey and the foundation. So I do want to start off by, by saying that. Well, I appreciate you acknowledging the team. It takes a lot of effort, and it's clear from what you found that this reflects a tremendous amount of work. Let's start with some of the basics. I'm not sure everyone even really understands the role of state licensure for health professionals. Can you just set the stage here? Sure. So let me start big picture. Uh, Licensing in general is the formal recognition by a regulatory agency or body that an individual has met the requirements set by the state. So what does that mean? Does that healthcare practitioner have the necessary training, the knowledge, and the experience to perform as a professional in their field? And the goal of licensure is to ensure that the person that the patient sees is somebody who is capable and competent. Uh, Typically, applying for licensure means a lot of different things for the healthcare professional. He or she needs to submit documentation of their education, which would include transcripts, um, what have you, training, and pass an exam to document their competency. Uh, They also have to pay a fee to the state and the licensing board and maintain continuing education requirements. Um, State healthcare practitioner licensing is deeply rooted in the 10th Amendment of the Constitution, which reserves the right to states to determine how licensure is done and how fees are collected. And that's why this is so complicated and why a study like this was uh, a team effort. So um, in a nutshell, if a practitioner license in one state 
wants to practice in another state, they have to go through that licensure process almost all over again. Yeah, so we're in a scenario here where the uh, legal ability to practice medicine is, is granted by the state. It's a combination, as you say, of what you might think of as consumer safety and protection and a little bit of professional protectionism. Uh, both of those probably uh, are a factor here. But here we come uh, to the COVID emergency. As I said at the outset, New Jersey is an early hotspot. Um, what happens with this temporary emergency program? What was the context in which it was adopted and what did it enable practitioners to do? We were one of the hot spots. The very first reported case was out in Washington State and then quickly after New York and New Jersey popped up on the radar as having multiple terrifying outbreaks for the coronavirus. And the governor in the state of New Jersey, Governor Philip Murphy, or Phil Murphy for short, signed an executive order on March 9th of 2020, which authorized the State Division of Consumer Affairs, the DCA, which houses licensure functions to waive, suspend, or modify any existing rule where the enforcement of the rule would be detrimental to the public welfare during the emergency. So to put that in more layman's terms, uh, I was reading some legal jargon here, is that it allowed the DCA, the Division of Consumer Affairs here in New Jersey, to more rapidly approve of out-of-state healthcare practitioner licenses to enable them to legally practice and treat New Jersey patients. So this program, which has a very long name, it's a New Jersey Temporary Emergency Reciprocity Licensure Program, T-E-R-L program, TERL program, was designed to respond to pandemic-related healthcare workforce demands, especially for hospital staffing and care for underserved populations. Some of the components that I think that are important to mention about this program was that licensing fees and criminal background checks were waived for eligible applicants. 23 of our licensing boards participated initially, including the boards for physicians, nurses, and mental health providers. And as of January 2021, which is when we conducted this study, the Division of Consumer Affairs had issued over 30,000 temporary licenses to healthcare practitioners originating from states outside of New Jersey, which I think is a remarkable number. So this uh, program has a huge effect. It brings a tremendous number of people into legal uh, right to practice in New Jersey. Um, let's start looking at what you found. You are reporting the results of a survey and you have information on the practitioners' uh, demographics as well as the services they provided. Um, let's just start with the survey. Who, who got this and who are we reporting the results on here? Right. So January 2021 was when we issued this survey. And like I had mentioned, there were 30,000 possible respondents to this survey. That was our entire survey sample pool. About 10,000 temporary licensees responded to the survey, making it about a 30% response rate, uh, which for any of the survey nerds on the call or on the podcast, listening to the podcast, is a pretty good response rate for a healthcare worker population. 
The um, survey results, I do want to note that our findings are only results of that survey population, so they cannot necessarily be generalized to the full population of the 30,000 temporary licensees, um, but what we share here and what we found from the survey um, is relevant to the 10,000 that responded. Some of the numbers here, so as of January 2021, the 30,000 temporary licenses, about 27% of them went to physicians, 26% to mental health providers, 35% to nurses and nurse practitioners, and 2% to respiratory care therapists. Comparing that to our survey sample, um, the distribution is a little bit different. We got an oversampling of the mental health providers. So of those who responded to our survey and said that they actually used the license, 48% of them were mental health providers, 21% physicians, 16% nurses, 7% nurses and uh, nurse, uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants, and then 2% respiratory care therapists and 6% all else. I want to ask you some questions about... Uh what types of services these practitioners provided and how they did that. Um, we'll do that after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Ann Nguyen about the temporary emergency reciprocity licensure program in New Jersey, which brought a large number of people from out of the state uh, into the New Jersey healthcare system as uh, the COVID pandemic began with such a force in that state. Before the break, we just got an overview of who uh, had responded to the survey and what uh, types of practice they were in. Uh, you have a lot of findings here, and I don't want to uh, try to go through all of them. If you want the full results, uh, the listener's going to have to look at the paper. But I do think there's some interesting findings with respect to location, with respect to the types of services provided. Um, can you say a little bit more about those topics for me? So um, the first question about what types of practitioners and where were they located, we were thrilled to see that among our respondents who are licensed using respondents, we saw participants coming in from every single state across the country. So that's a really heartwarming thought and number to see that every state had sent or volunteers from every state had uh, applied for a temporary New Jersey license and used their license. Um, most of those, um, over half of those temporary licenses were issued to practitioners who originated from the states of New York and Pennsylvania, which are our neighboring states. Um, a lot of them also came from Florida, Delaware, and California. And these five states that I just listed accounted for 74% of the license-using respondents. So um, the other point that I wanted to make about who these license-using respondents were is that they mostly treated New Jersey patients using telehealth. The nurses and respiratory care therapists 
However, we're mostly located in New Jersey. So among all of the practitioner types that we talked about before, the nurses and the respiratory care therapists were more likely to physically relocate to the state of New Jersey. The license using respondents touched over 1.4 million lives, according to our survey results between March 2020 and January 2021, which again is another, I think, remarkable number to um, have found through this study. And the average number of patients that were served by these types of practitioners had a wide range because each of these practitioners uh, do very different things. So the mental health providers had on average served 1.4 New Jersey patients per month uh, compared to the respiratory care therapists who reported that they served uh, over 400 New Jersey patients per month. I mean, uh, that's, that's really, really significant contributions to healthcare access and services during a dire time of need. That's really striking how much care was provided. You know, another finding had to do with the languages spoken, which I thought was very interesting, uh, just to have a sense of how much uh, uh, the care was provided in, in languages that met the need of a really diverse population in New Jersey. Do you have a little uh, detail on that? I appreciate you asking about that, because that was also something important to us to see if the Temporary Emergency Reciprocity Licensure Program helped address health equity during the pandemic. And we saw that our respondents reported conversing with New Jersey patients in over 36 different languages. And the top languages that are used in New Jersey were all reported as being languages that they use to speak with their patients. That's a very striking finding. So this emerged out of, of course, the uh, COVID pandemic. It sounds like some of this was clearly COVID care. When you talk about physically coming to New Jersey and uh, serving a, a hospitalized population, but it sounds like some of it was also sort of care continuity mm-hmm. not related to COVID. Do I, do I have that right? That's right. So the majority of our respondents actually reported, 65% of them reported that They not only provided COVID-related care, but they also delivered non-COVID-related care. And what was interesting to us was that you had mentioned real briefly, you know, new patients versus continuity of care for patients. Only 16% of our respondents reported that all of their New Jersey patients were completely new to them. And the rest we're seeing a mixture of new patients and existing patients or exclusively existing patients. So that's something that is important to note that not only did this expand access to care, this licensure program, but it also enabled continued access to care, which I want to note is really important, especially for mental health care. Because if you are relocating during the pandemic because you lost your job or you're a student that's moving back home because school has shut down or um, you're moving because you want to be closer to family, it's really difficult to reestablish that mental health provider relationship to begin with and to lose that during the pandemic would have been detrimental to these people's mental and whole health. So this license enabled and ensured the 
the practitioners that they were legally able to provide care across state lines. Now, technically, there were some provisions that were passed in New Jersey that would have ensured that if you as a practitioner were saving, were serving patients across state lines and it was an existing patient, then you were protected legally to do so. But we did see in our survey results and how people responded to some of the open text questions that they got this license, the temporary license, just in case to make sure that they could still see their patients across state lines. And that's a nuanced comment, but an important one that the practitioners really want to make sure that they could still continue to serve care to patients for non-COVID related reasons too. Yeah, and the interplay between the emergency provision and, of course, the dramatic expansion in the use of telehealth in general, which we've discussed on other episodes of the podcast and and published papers on, that interplay seems important. You mentioned it particularly in the context of mental health, but even outside of that, did you see heavy use of telehealth? And is it audio only or is it audio and uh, visual? What, what What's the telehealth angle on this? Yeah, so most of our respondents use telehealth as their main modality for care delivery. And there was a mixture of both audio only and video only care for telehealth. The types of respondents who use the the audio only telehealth were mostly the respiratory care therapists and the nurses. That's consistent with what we found and talked about earlier the population that used the video-only option the most for telehealth were the mental health care providers. The, um, I'll do a quick plug for you is that there's also a really great telehealth waiver podcast and article published in Health Affairs by Dr. Juan Andino, I think complements this study very, very well because we don't believe that most of the licenses issued in our state for for the temporary licensure program would have been used as effectively without those telehealth waivers that relax the originating site requirements, among many other things that enabled our out-of-state practitioners to still deliver care legally across state lines. You have this now treasure trove of information about a program that came at a very particular point in time. We're, of course, a health policy journal. And so some of the issues that I'm interested in, I assume our listeners are interested in, have to do with the policy implications. So first of all, New Jersey faced potential significant provider shortage at, a, at that moment because of the increase in demand. But now across the country, we hear stories about shortages, uh, burnout of the workforce, a difficulty uh, of finding staffing. So my first question to you is, is there anything from this study and your understanding of interstate licensure that helps you think about whether or not this sort of approach is a potential solution to the ongoing challenges associated with provider shortages. This sort of approach of, of issuing temporary licenses, are it's an approach that's great for public health emergencies, but it's not a long-term solution. And one point I really want to stress about this is that there is something that 
we in our paper refer to as the zero-sum nature of interstate licensure. What's happening, frankly, is that we're just moving our existing workforce from one state to another, which could potentially deplete the needed workforce from that other state. So we do have to be really careful with how we move forward with the licensure-related policies to make sure that we're not taking away from any communities and states that actually need the healthcare services more than we do. Um, there, that said, there are two main licensure mechanisms that are being hotly debated right now or discussed rather that could help mitigate some of the licensure barriers to interstate practice. The first one is the idea of interstate licensure compacts. There are some that exist already, which include the interstate medical compact for, for medical physicians. There's a version for nurses. There's a version for clinical psychologists. And there's some early efforts, or I guess like a well, moved along efforts for interstate compacts for social workers and also therapists. And so we see more and more of these states joining the interstate compacts, which um, in summary would allow the practitioner to maintain their license in a home state, apply and maintain a multi-state license in the interstate compact, and be able to practice in any of the participating compact states and there's a lot of checks and balances within that that also look at whether or not the practitioner has met the education, knowledge, and uh, competency requirements. So that's one that's being discussed, and New Jersey has actually passed and enacted a few of those during the pandemic, including the one for nurses uh, and psych clinical psychologists, and there's, I think, discussions for the physician one. The other type of licensure reform proposal is using the federal authority to encourage national licensure reciprocity. And that means that there would be, at the federal level, a legal authorization for practitioners to use their license across state lines and be recognized across state lines. The simplest example of that that I can think of is the driver's license. So you're recognized and approved of at, in New Jersey, you can still drive in New York, Hawaii, California, all of these other states using that license. So um, that's something else that's being discussed, but both of these sort of mechanisms will require a lot of thought, a lot of effort to implement, and a lot of regulation to make sure that the quality being provided to our patients at the end of the day is still top notch. And that, at the end of the day, is what's most important. So it sounds like there are approaches that can sort of reduce the friction, make it easier. But as you say, they don't change the number of practitioners. And in some ways, if you make it too easy, you could actually lose capacity in one state as people are drawn to another. Um, and yet, it does seem, um, I think that you providing the example of driving is an interesting one. Uh, physiology of 
people doesn't really differ from state to state, just as uh, traffic signs and the like don't differ that much. I realize that the standards of quality uh, need to be very high, but it's not entirely clear what the state dimension is other than sort of a a long history here. Um, And yet, because it's a traditional state function, any changes to it uh, are going to come slowly and come at the pace uh, when states are willing to do so. Um, as we come to a close, any other policy implications that you would call out, or is it really these compacts and federal uh, opportunities that are the primary ones that you think of as you uh, consider the work? Well, for public health emergencies, as far as we're aware, New Jersey is the first to have collected you know, COVID-19 related data on how these licenses were used. I would be very curious about how they were used by other states and if the way that they were being used differed from what we found. And so I encourage other states, other researchers to see if they can find and collect data so that we can have a more informed discussion about how effective these temporary emergency reciprocity licensure programs were on increasing access to care and increasing that workforce supply across our state uh, state lines. Um, that would be really interesting to see, but I know it's also very challenging to do um, because we have limited resources. And if we're able to, at the federal or the state level, ensure that we can move resources to places including licensure agencies, such as the Division of Consumer Affairs, to enable this work to move on quickly, um, that would be really helpful too, because we want to ensure that if practitioners from across state lines want to be able to come and help um, when they apply for these licenses, ideally, and hopefully they would be um, reviewed and approved of or get you know issued fairly quickly so that people who want to help are able to help right away. Um, I just want to leave with a quick like summary of the study that I thought um, could be a takeaway for some of our, our listeners is that, you know, a few of our findings were unexpected and worth noting and thinking about. Um, our study revealed that there were two main uses for the temporary licenses. One was that nurses and respiratory care therapists who came to New Jersey to help Um, with COVID-related hospital care during the pandemic. That's one population. And then two, there were physicians and mental health providers who mostly, if not exclusively, used telehealth across state lines for both COVID and non-COVID-related care. So however we want to move forward with policy changes or uh, licensure process updates, there does seem to be two distinct but related groups that use the temporary license in New Jersey. And we um, hopefully can learn from that to make these processes more quick to go through and more efficient and effective moving forward. Well, Dr. Nguyen, thank you for uh, the concise explanation of what you found, as well as the tremendous amount of effort that went into this. I agree with you. uh, Having similar information from other states would be helpful uh, in the sense that uh, there are unique aspects to the practice and uh, the interstate uh, issues for New Jersey relative to others. And knowing some of these similar uh, 
findings or if they're different in other states would would help us. Uh, So thank you for the work, for the explanation, and most of all today, thank you for being my guest on A Health Podacy. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Podacy. Health Podacy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Podacy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening. <laughs>